Please turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 2. I will be reading chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 from the New King James Version. Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man, for those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. It's an honor to have you, and we hope that we can encourage you just as you have encouraged us by being here. Already this morning, we've had an early morning worship service with a little over 70 folks present as uh, individuals are participating in a race for the cure today, and we have a team uh, that's Pam's pals that are participating in that, and we treasure and and honor the memory of Pam and the wonderful life that she lived and the great example that uh, she was for all of us. And we do pray that a cure uh, for that disease can be found. When you think about being a strong individual and you think about making an impact upon the lives of other people, how do you envision that kind of strength and that kind of impact? You know, when we think about large and strong organisms, one thing that could come to mind, probably didn't come to your mind just then, but we can imagine the blue whale. Now, it's really hard for me to imagine a blue whale, something that's over 100 foot long and something that weighs sometimes over 100 tons, or maybe you imagine a large redwood tree, a beautiful tree, a tree that can measure over 100 foot uh, around its trunk and one that can grow as tall as 200 feet tall. You probably didn't picture in your mind an aspen tree. When we picture an aspen, we see a tree that rarely grows over a foot wide at its trunk, its base. Hardly ever would it grow beyond or even up to 100 feet tall. But you know, this morning, I want to challenge you as we think about our, our Christian life. I want you to think that not only does God want us to be strong in the sense of, of being uh, a servant of His and being persistent and persevering, but there's something about the aspen tree that is remarkable. 
And that is you rarely see them stand alone. Because you see, we most of the time see them as aspen groves because their root system has shoots that form other roots. And even though we might look at a redwood tree and say it's a few hundred years old, there are root systems of aspen groves that are several thousand years old. Because even if a forest fire blows through and burns up every tree, its root system will still shoot back those roots. You see, what I want us to think about this morning is that God has never intended for us just to grow into something large and massive in strength that just kind of stands out there on its own. God wants us to be connected. And what Paul was trying to remind those of Galatia was that their connection was with the gospel, the Word of God revealed. And if they were going to leave or pervert that gospel, they were going to lose that network. They were going to lose the network of fellowship, but they also were going to lose that network of truth. They were going to cease being what God was creating them to be. And that would be a dangerous thing, as you can imagine any tree being uplifted from its root system and yet trying to survive, it would be impossible. And so it is, as we look at this second chapter that's been so capably read for us, I want you to notice as we look verses 1 through 5 again, and it's going to be 4 with with just a remaining verse there, notice how the first few verses dealt with telling us the characters that were going to be included in this chapter. He talked about that trip to Jerusalem. And yes, Barnabas was in there, but the main characters that are going to be presented here is that of Paul and Titus. Because when they went there, Titus, being the one that was not a Jew, was going to be compelled to be circumcised. You see, the idea was to take that of the Christian faith and mix it with a little bit of the old law. And so the question would be, would Paul tolerate this mixing of the law with something else, the mixing of the gospel with something else even like the old law? Notice at the uh, end of your reading there on the screen, we have one phrase coming out of verse 5. He says, "...to whom we did not yield submission." As we go to this next slide, I want you to think about the fact that Paul would absolutely never yield to false teachers. If we're going to have that network that's based upon the truth, we must accept the fact that we can never yield to false teaching. And false teaching is anything that tries to change, add, or take away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even the very thing that they were trying to add was that of the old law. Someone could have argued, but listen, this was inspired writing under the Old Testament. This is God's Word under the Old Testament. Let's go ahead and mix a little bit of that in. And really, one of the great themes of Galatians is the gospel only. We can't add anything to the gospel. And still, it remained the gospel. Look with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I want us to see another time that Paul dealt with individuals that were leaving the good news of Jesus Christ. And then after this, we'll look at one even of Jesus dealing and, and just seeing how important it is for us to remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus. Today, if I stood before you and I tried to convince you that there was no resurrection, would that be a hard sell? I'm assuming it would. 
I'm assuming that I could preach for 30 minutes up here and I could give it all my heart and tell you that Jesus Christ is still in the grave and that there is no resurrection and hopefully none would leave here saying, I believe that. Can you imagine that in Corinth, that church had individuals that were teaching that there was no resurrection? And can you imagine that there were individuals that over time started believing that there was no resurrection? But yet if you went up to them and said, what are you? They would say, I'm a Christian. But then you'd say, what do you think of the resurrection? They say, well, I don't think there is a resurrection. And so in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, Paul is addressing that, saying, how can you say there's no resurrection? And then he tells them how they can say there's no resurrection. Skip down to verse 33. And let's notice here in 33 and 34. He says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Evil companions corrupts good morals. That's the old King James translation that I grew up hearing quoted over and over. And if you had good parents, you probably heard that verse quoted over and over too. And you know, oftentimes we use that verse for adults speaking to youth to say, listen, you better be careful the peers that you choose because if you run with those peers for a long enough period of time, you will begin to reflect their behavior and their immorality and their practices and etc. I believe that this passage is all right to use in that application. I believe it's to be true. We've all seen it over and over. But you know, that's not the context that this verse is written. The context that this verse is written is he's writing to a church family and he's saying to those adults, he says, listen, you've made an about face about something as fundamental as the resurrection and I want to tell you why you've done it. You've started listening to false teachers and the more time you spend around those false teachers, the more you're being deceived. Don't be deceived further in thinking that they have no impact upon you. They do. I've had individuals out of good hearts to ask me, do you think there's any wrong, anything wrong with me watching television even though some of the teaching is false teaching if it's uh, religious stations? Do you think there's anything wrong listening to the radio even though maybe some of the teachings on that religious station is false teaching? The Scriptures would say, Whatever we spend our time with, we're going to start reflecting those doctrines, those practices. Friends, we cannot ever take lightly what we place in our mind. I would guess that people would have said about Corinth, there's no way you could ever convert, co convince that church that there's not a resurrection but yet they listened to false teaching long enough that they started being convinced there wasn't a resurrection. What's the answer? The answer is, stop listening to the false teaching, and then did you notice there in 34? Awake to righteousness. Close your ears to the false teaching. Awake to the righteousness of God. And notice this, you're going to stop sinning then, you're going to start having the knowledge of God then, and you're going to stop bringing shame. Shame to who? Shame to yourself, but also shame to God. Remember 2 Timothy 2 and 15, study to show thyself approved unto God. When we don't study, what do we do? We bring shame to God. When we listen to false teachers and we follow their doctrine, what do we do? We bring shame to God. We fall asleep to righteousness. And so the whole plea here is, stop running with the false teachers. Wake up. Stop sinning. Have the knowledge of God. Stop bringing shame 
to God. Let's go over and see Jesus deal with this same topic. Let's go over to John, the fifth chapter. In John, the fifth chapter, uh, we're going to have a screen here for uh, these verses. And uh, what I'd like to do is primarily read to you verse 39 uh, through 44. And, and notice, uh, especially 39, we're going to come back and really uh, think about what he's saying in 39. But, but go ahead and notice how he talks to them saying, you you and when he's saying you at these places it's usually not good what they are doing is not good for their spiritual health at all we're in john the fifth chapter we're dealing with jesus trying to convince them that he is the messiah he is the son of god they have had him tell them that they've had john the baptist tell them that they've had god the father tell them that his works have proven that the scriptures are saying that but they're not getting it and so this is where we pick up in the middle of this chapter verse 39 you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me verse 40 but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life and i do not receive honor from men but i know you that you do not have the love of god in you I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who you receive, or who receives honor from one another? And do not seek the honor that comes from only God. He's talked about the fact that they wouldn't accept the name of Jesus, but if someone came in their own name, they'd accept them. You won't accept the love of God, but you'll create some other kind of standard by which to live. Where did all this come from? What about if a false teacher turns to the Scriptures? Does that then make them a teacher of truth? I need to think about that. If a teacher turns to the Scriptures, does that immediately make them a teacher of truth? Notice again, verse 39, as we read the same verse again. Look at 39, what he says to these people that are not following true doctrine. They're not believing that Jesus is the Messiah. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me. Where did they go? They went to the Scriptures. What did they believe? They didn't believe the Scriptures. Friends, I need to be very careful how I use the Scriptures. I need to be very careful how I study the Scriptures. When you and I say, I know what I believe about that, and I'm going to find some Scriptures to prove it. We're doing exactly what those people were doing. I know that Jesus Christ isn't the Messiah, and I'm going to find some Scriptures that proves that He's not the Messiah. You see how perverted that study is? You and I should never go into the Scriptures to prove what we want to believe. You and I should always be willing to go in the Scriptures to say, what does God say on this topic? What does God say on this matter? I want to submit my life to God in everything. If those Judaizing teachers that were coming into Galatia and trying to mix the old law in with the new law, if they would have just said, what does God want us to follow under this new covenant? This matter would have been settled. But the problem is, they wanted circumcision in the Christian faith. Now, I know circumcision is not a hot spiritual topic for us today. And I hope in this series of lessons that we're going through that in your mind you can get beyond that because the application is powerful. We live in a world where people want to be Christians, but they also have other things they want to mix into Christianity. 
If you will listen to people in your workplace, and if you'll look at the books that's being written right now, you'll find that it's not that many people endorsing an Eastern religion completely, but it is that they're picking out aspects of an Eastern religion and saying, oh, I'm Christian, but that really interests me also. Sounds just like Galatians, doesn't it? I'm Christian, but you know the feast days of the old law, they really interest me also. I'm Christian, but you know, circumcision really interests me also. I must realize that the reason the book of Galatians was written is for Paul to say over and over and over, the gospel only. The gospel of Jesus Christ only. And so it is. As we go back to that phrase in verse 4 of Galatians, the second chapter, notice how those individuals that were trying to spy out In other words, they were going in to look at something they didn't agree with. Did you notice what they were spying out? At the end of verse 4, they came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus. Why did Paul not allow Titus to be circumcised? Why did Titus not allow himself to be circumcised? Under these conditions, in other words, they were making it a matter of salvation. The only way this Greek man can be saved is he must become a proselyte Jew first. That would involve circumcision. Then we'll let him slide into the church, the Christian belief. And he writes and says, listen, we're not allowing it because we have liberty in Christ. And if Christ accepts someone, then that same liberty must flow in the church also. If Christ accepted Titus, then the church had to accept Titus. And so it was a powerful point that Paul makes to say, we're going to stay with the liberty of Christ, but the application was, we're not changing the practice in the church when we already have the liberty of Christ. Friends, the two have to stay hand in hand at all times. The liberty of Christ gives us liberty in the church. Notice also as we go back to that phrase, it's in the fifth verse. We only read the first part of this phrase a while ago. We read, to whom we did not yield submission. In other words, they didn't yield to false teachers. But notice the emphasis that he places here. He says, We did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. In other words, when he says, We didn't yield even for an hour, it might also could be said, We didn't yield even for a moment. Or maybe it could be said like this, We didn't yield once. Or we didn't even yield at any given time. In other words, Paul is saying, Look, when you're wanting us to change something about the gospel of Jesus Christ... There cannot be any exception. Do you realize that there are many practices and denominations today that those individuals know that those things are not in the Word of God and they begin as an exception? We're going to sprinkle this individual once because this individual is in such poor health. We're going to sprinkle this individual instead of baptize them, but that's only going to be the exception. We're going to do this once, only for this hour And after this hour, we're not doing it again. Well, somebody did it again because more and more people practice that of sprinkling. So many people practice that of sprinkling that a lot of religious people that tell you, I know the Bible, believe that it's in the Bible. And of course, it's not anywhere in the Bible in any shape, form, fashion, inference, 
anyway. Same thing with the sinner's prayer. Do you realize the sinner's prayer is only about 500 years old, but it was not used extensively until the early 1900s. Many of us know the name Billy Graham very well. Friends, he is one of the ones that brought about the idea of the sinner's prayer to the forefront of acceptance. Him and a fellow named Billy Sunday. They were the ones that took this old way that was just a few hundred years old, not a few thousand years old, and said, let's just use this. Billy Sunday wouldn't even be consistent with it. Sometimes he would say, you want my sawdust trail down to the front and accept Jesus and you'll be saved. Other times he would say, you want my sawdust trail down to the front and we'll say a prayer and you'll be saved. Oh, so there's two ways of salvation now. It's just whichever one strikes you on a certain night. Do you see the point? The point is we can't make exceptions with the gospel. Those people will start taking the exceptions and making them the rule. And then the rule will become so misleading that multitudes of people will not even know what the truth is on the matter. Paul, just to make these people happy, will you go ahead and circumcise Titus just for this one hour, just for this one exception? Let's bring some peace here. Just go ahead and do it. And he says, I will not submit to them for an hour. The truth is the truth. But now note this. It's not, it's not my opinion or your opinion. Notice, he says why he wouldn't do it. You see there the rest of that very same verse we're reading there in verse 5? He wouldn't do it even for an hour. Why? That the truth of the gospel might continue with them. If the truth was going to continue... The gospel has to be the standard. No exceptions. Look with me, if you will, to James the third chapter and verse 17. James the third chapter and verse 17. If you'll read this very closely with me, you're going to notice a powerful point. What is most important? Is unity more important than truth? You and I need to be able to answer that just like that. Is unity more important than truth? You see, if unity is more important than truth, you'll sacrifice truth to keep unity. If unity was more important than truth, at this very moment, Paul would have said, okay, man, Titus, go be circumcised. We've got to keep unity around this place. No. Truth is far more important than unity, even though unity is to be greatly valued and, and a great effort to strive to achieve it. Let's notice how James was said here in James the third chapter and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, and notice he says, is first. Is first pure. You see, that's referring to the truth. The wisdom of God must be maintained in its purity. We can't be creating exceptions. We can't be adding to it. We can't be taking away from it. We keep the wisdom of God in its purity. Then what do we strive for in its purity? Then, peaceably, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, do you see what he's saying here? He says all these other things we want in the life of our congregation. We want in the life of a Christian. But the very first thing that has to be is that the truth has to be maintained in its purity. Then, in its purity, we will yield where we have the liberty of Christ to yield. 
We will be gentle where we have the liberty of Christ to be gentle. But on the other hand, we're going to stand firm where the liberty of Christ will only allow for that kind of firmness. We're going to stand firm where the liberty of Christ will not allow us to yield. Let's close by looking at the last six, seven, eight, and nine, kind of under one heading here. We've seen that they wouldn't yield. Paul and Titus would not yield to false teachers, wouldn't yield to false teachers for a moment. And the truth is, even though he's referring to some wonderful people in these next few paragraphs, he says the truth is, fellas, we wouldn't yield to anyone. You see, the reason was because he had his message from God, and God trumps anyone. Look at verse 6 again where he says, but from those who seem to be something, and, and he's not trying... Uh, to be critical when he says they seemed to be something. They had a powerful influence in the church. Whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. Well, who's he talking about the something? He could be talking about in verse 9. You see where he says, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars... You see, he's saying, you could go to Paul and you could say, Paul... Why are you standing so firm with this? And he's making it real clear. Listen, I'm not standing firm with this because I've been influenced by this group or because I've been influenced by this group. It doesn't matter if it's false teachers or if it doesn't matter if it's the wonderful church leaders like Peter and James and John. He says, the reason I'm standing where I'm standing is because a gospel and a ministry has been given to me from God. And God trumps everyone else. This morning, I know based on where we are spiritually, would determine some aspect of this, but I want you to, I'm not, don't read in more to what I'm trying to say or less, but just think about this. You and I do not need to be worshiping this morning in the way we're worshiping because that's the way the other people around us do it. We're about to extend an invitation here in just a moment. We do not believe in this doctrine of salvation because a group of people believe that. Or we don't practice this this, uh, organization of a church because our elders have said, this is the way the church is going to be organized. Usually when we speak of respecter of persons and partiality, we're usually not talking about it in the, the area of people versus God. In the sense of Him saying, it doesn't matter to me who it is that's saying these things. I had my message from God. And I'm not going to listen to anyone else. Friends, We need to be more like Paul. He knew his root system. He knew the gospel that he was connected to. And he knew that he could stand strong and that he could be all that God wanted him to be if he stayed with that root system. And when people come along and said, let's offer some of this, he would not yield to false teachers, not for a moment. And even when others would say, Well, maybe it's because of those leaders in Jerusalem. He would say, absolutely not because of some leaders somewhere. As a matter of fact, and this brings us full circle, 
He said, we got together and we talked about the gospel. And we're both in full fellowship. Both standing in the gospel. Now that goes back to that root system. In other words, he's saying, that root system has produced Paul. That same root system has produced Peter. It's produced John. It's produced James. He's pleading for it to go back and to allow it to produce those Galatian brethren again that are starting to leave that root system. And now this gospel carries over almost 2,000 years and it's the same plea today. Will you be an individual that's connected to that root system? Nothing more, nothing less. Be able to say, I stand with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's my parents or grandparents. I don't care if it's a neighbor. I don't care if it's one of the best known religious leaders in America today. I don't care who it is. I want God. And God only. Do you have God in your life? Have you ever been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins? If you haven't, won't you do that this morning? If you have been baptized into Christ and you've allowed things to separate you from that root system, you've allowed things to separate you from the gospel, won't you come back to God, come back by His will, not because a man would say so, but because the Almighty God loves you and He wants you to be right with Him again. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.